The Northeast Newscast is brought to you by the Northeast News, the voice of historic Northeast Kansas City since 1932. Interested in helping promote your business while also keeping the voice of the Northeast alive? Advertise with the Northeast News today by calling 816-241-0765 or by emailing northeastnews at socket.net. Thank you for listening, thank you for reading, and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Northeast Newscast. As always, this is your host, Paul Thompson, and I'll be joined this week by Captain Chris Young of the Kansas City Police Department's Violent Crimes Investigative Unit. Now, Young's unit works closely with Kansas City No Violence Alliance, otherwise known as KC Nova, which has drawn criticism over the years from both inside and outside the department as violent crime statistics continue to increase throughout Kansas City. Young addresses some of those concerns head-on, discusses some of the tactics and strategies that Casey Nova is employing to combat those violent crimes, and separates the fact from the fiction as it relates to the work that Kansas City No Violence Alliance actually does. Here's my interview with Captain Chris Young of the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. It's Paul Thompson here at KCPD HQ with Captain Chris Young. Uh, the Violent Crimes Investigative Unit that's within the Violent Crime Enforcement Division, a key cog of the Kansas City No Violence Alliance, better known as KC Nova. And I appreciate your time today, Chris. Thank you for taking it. You're welcome. Well, let's just start with the basics. This unit that you're a part of, the Violent Crimes Enforcement Division, and, and your unit in particular, the uh, Violent Crimes Investigative Unit, uh, how, many, how many people do you have working under that umbrella? So under Major uh, Mike Wood, there's two captains and then uh, multiple sergeants that, that oversee uh, several different units, including our administrative uh, analysts. We're looking at around 50, 59 people. Wow. Okay. Now, as we talked a little bit off the record about just how much collaboration is a part of the NOVA program. It, you know, I think there's this misconception that it's something that's driven by the police department, and, and that's true, but I think you mentioned before, I mean, we're talking FBI, prosecutors, social workers. Yes. How much collaboration is there in this, okay. in this yeah, NOVA so program? Yeah, so it truly is a collaboration, and that's been a, a misconception early on that it, it's, a, it's a police department initiative, and it, it really isn't. It is a, it's truly a multi-agency um, collaboration or initiative in the sense that it's the, the chiefs, the, you know, our, our chief of police, which you know, currently is uh, in transition, <laughs> but um, it's our police department, it's the FBI, the ATF, probation and parole, the, the city of Kansas City, uh, the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office, the um, United States Attorney's Office, um, Missouri Probation and Parole, we're all, uh, and, and to include our community, uh, sitting down together and talking to each other and sharing information for the first time and talking about how we, as a collaboration, are going to work to address violence. Well, you've obviously had, I think you mentioned that this thing was introduced, or the NOVA was originally introduced in 2012, Around was 2012, that right? Yes. Uh, how has it progressed since then? I think you mentioned at first that it kind of was its own sort of siloed unit at that point. 
Well, as far as the police department's contribution to the collaboration, it, it did start off initially as um, uh, it was Captain Joe McHale and a sergeant and a couple of detectives. And the initial goal was just how, how is our police department going to contribute to this, this multi-agency collaboration effort? And so uh, when he was looking into this early on, it was just a handful of people. Uh, and the goal was to plant the seed in our police department and, and hope for that seed to grow and to where our department was uh, a good partner to this collaboration. Uh, early on, you know, uh, we struggled a little bit in that arena because of the fact that um, much of our department, as in many police departments across the United States, are uh, are very siloed in their efforts. So the, the different divisions, the different squads or units on the police department just held a lot of that information tight to their chest, you know, and and uh, you know, didn't want to share or didn't want to talk to each other in the ways that we would initially uh, expect. Right. And so one of the things that the, the chief had to do early on for us to be a good partner, for the police department to be a good partner in this collaboration, was he formed the Violent Crimes Enforcement Division uh, so that we could begin better planting that seed and in, in influencing people to begin uh, sharing intelligence and sharing information. So, And I think as we've talked about before, one of the big components of that is this, I guess, bi-weekly IRIS meeting. Yes. Uh, can you maybe describe the origins of, of that meeting, why that's been added to the, the tasks that the, the enforcement or the Violent Crimes Enforcement Division is a part of and, and NOVA on a grander scale, uh, and how important that is? Right. So um, so the leadership on our department, uh, to uh, and really... Uh, uh, a lot of credit goes to uh, Major Greg Volker uh, over at our Law Enforcement Resource Center um, with, with my boss, who's um, Major Mike Wood, and at the time it was uh, Major Joe McHale, uh, mm -hmm. who's now moved on to become a chief in Marion, Iowa. But, um, so we, we, as a collaboration, uh, our entire our NOVA collaboration, its leadership began to visit uh, other cities and see what they were doing in those cities and so on and so forth. Uh, we saw that they were having uh, intelligence sharing meetings um, and my, my leadership on my department sat down and talked and said we need to be doing this, the same kinds of things to be more effective. So uh, it, that's how this IRIS meeting came to be. IRIS stands for Information Review Intelligence Sharing. And so it it is basically taking everybody in our city, so our commanders of our division stations, it's taking um, uh, our analysts out of the Law Enforcement Resource Center, it's taking the um, our, our division, the homicide unit, the robbery unit, the, the all, everybody, I mean, can't name them all. So everybody on the police department sits down in this room. But in addition to the, our department, the, the United States Attorney is in the meeting. The Jackson County Prosecutor's Office sits in this meeting. Um, the command staff and the analysts from uh, KCK come and sit down in this meeting. And it's growing all the time. Probation and parole sits in this meeting. And everybody then begins sharing, not only uh, you know reviewing what happens uh, daily and overnight, but we're also sharing information what's happening in each other's shops. So you could imagine that the robbery unit might be looking at a at a possible suspect, and they may have a limited information where the um, where a patrol officer or whether another detective in another city, another zone, another location has information and nobody else knows that until we all sit down and begin talking about it and then we can work. Once you have good intelligence and good information, then you, can, you have the ability to take action and direct your resources, which are limited, 
to go address you know uh, our our crime problem. Well, and it seems like one of the the ideas behind Nova is to kind of take advantage of those limited resources and and have the opportunity to kind of focus. I mean, focus deterrence is kind of the the basic premise of, of how it works. But how important is it to pool those resources, especially at a time where you know that you have fewer positions now than than you have five years ago? That's that's true, and and, and but we're and we're all in that boat. Like I mean, uh, it would be anybody would be lying if they said they didn't want more resources. So I'm sure the prosecutor's office wants more prosecutors. The mayor, I'm sure he wants more money and more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that the um, the probation and parole, they're under, under they serve 8,000 people on probation and parole here in the Kansas City area. They have very few resources to truly stay on top of 8,000 people. We deal with 4,000 aggravated assaults every year. We have approximately 12, you know, de- detectives looking in on that. I mean, that's Everybody wants more resources. You know, uh, there are you know thousands of calls for service. There's only so many police cars and so many officers in those cars. So we all want more resources. Everybody does. So since we are all limited in our resources, if we can share intelligence and share information and direct all of our limited resources in each of our agencies towards those people that are that we know through intelligence are driving the violence in our city, it, that would only make sense uh, to me, and I, I think it makes sense to most of my leadership as well. Now, you mentioned uh, the calls for service, and, and those have, uh, it seems like those numbers have just keep kind of going up. I think there's this perception out there, maybe from within, but all, definitely from without, uh, from outside of the department, that, well, programs like NOVA are pulling officers away from answering calls, from being on patrol, from driving around these neighborhoods and deterring in a different way, deterring people from actively committing smaller crimes in and around the city. Uh, how, would you, how would you argue against that perception and, and how is how is that kind of being handled? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a tough one. And I don't know that I have all the answers, right. frankly. I mean, I, I think that's a, it's a very complicated issue. Um, you know, the, when you look at our, when you look at our division and how it was formed, uh, the vast majority of the resources that were dedicated to the 50, I think I said 59 people, if you include the analyst, uh, um, the, the vast majority of the individuals that are now working for us worked in various other investigative elements on our police department. So, uh, so I don't... they weren't necessarily in... You're not taking them from patrol necessarily. Anyways. No. Now, there were some that were assigned to patrol, for, for sure, but they, um, they the, these individuals right here, for instance, were assigned to patrol. They were in proactive uh, sectors at that time where they were doing uh, proactive work. And so, you know, there was some TO that was pulled from, from patrol units, but not a not a significant number. You're, uh, currently, you're looking at what, um, 12, I think there's 12 people here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. yeah, maybe 14 if you count the officers or the sergeants. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there was some personnel pulled from patrol, um, but, but also there's, uh, you know, the department's lost a lot of uh, officers through attrition and, and uh, not backfill. I mean, we, we used to run academy classes of, you know, of 40 guys, you know, and gals, and now, you know, we're, we're running less, you know, less classes and, and less people, and we're just in a, an economic crunch, and I imagine over time that will resolve itself. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, Ian, on the topic of, I guess, 
misconceptions. But what would you think, I mean, what would you say are, are the biggest misconceptions that people have about NOVA and how the program operates? Well, I think uh, one is that uh, one of the misconceptions, uh, not only within the department and outside the department, is is the premise that, you know, there's, uh, well, one, I, I know it was recently reported, you know, 150 sworn law enforcement assigned to this NOVA unit, you know, and that's all we do is this this NOVA thing, you know, and, and that's not, uh, that's obviously not true. I mean, even if you, even if you were to say that our division, even if you were to try to, to justify that our division is the NOVA unit, that is not a, um, that still wouldn't be an accurate statement. There's only the 59 people that are currently here. Um, number two, these are, these are detectives in the gang squad and the gun squad that are spending every bit of their day going after the most violent criminals in our city, attempting to work with our collaboration to put the most violent people, you know, behind bars that refuse to, to change their life or head a different direction when offered. It's not like, I guess it sounds like you're saying, it's not like these de detectives are not still getting violent criminal offenders right. off the street. I, I mean, mean, it literally means that we are, we are attempting through our collaboration through IRIS, through information sharing and intelligence, and we've even taken IRIS one step further. Uh, our, our division holds a, uh, a morning meeting with Narcotics and Vice Division and with anybody that wants to call in and share intelligence. So this number has been published to all of our division commanders. It's been published to Kansas City, Kansas, to their gang squads and mm -hmm. to their violent cr uh, crimes section. Uh, it's uh, probation and parole, the prosecutor's office, the federal, federal prosecutor's office. Um, all of those people either sit in the daily meeting with us, last about 30 minutes, or they call into the meeting if they can't be there. So Kansas City, we've got a big, you know, speaker on the table, and so all of our partnerships are calling in every morning to to address violence and intelligence, literally in real time as it's happening, so that it is actionable and we can go do something about it right now. So I I, I don't know honestly what there is to not like about it. I mean, again. We would all like more resources. Uh, sure, if we could hire 200, 300, 400 more officers, absolutely. What's not to like about that as well? Right. Um, but those are decisions, you know, way beyond, uh, you know, my circle of influence. You know, I don't, I don't have a say in in the financial side of the of our business. I don't have a say in in what we hire, who we hire, and things of that nature. Um, everybody would like more people. But this is a philosophy uh, that we are implementing as a as a collaboration to address the the most violent criminals through the limited resources that we all have. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And we just spent some time talking about perception, but I kind of wanted to talk about the raw numbers as well, and maybe how you interpret them. Okay. Because uh, if you're a citizen of Kansas City, you look at the violent crime. I mean, you look at the murders, the homicides sure. over the past yeah. few years, and there has been a spike. I mean, that's hard to deny. Sure. Um, I think the temptation for a lot of people who don't know a lot about the program is to say, well, why are the numbers still going up if NOVA is doing all these things successfully and is making all these collaborations? Um, so I guess I would just ask you, I mean, I, I, it must be a, a point of frustration at times to see that number continue to rise. Uh, what would you tell citizens that have concerns about that and, right. and, and want to tie that into NOVA? Sure. And, and you know, and, and I, I think our violent crime problem is a, is a very complicated issue. And I don't know that I can, uh, I mean, as a 
Kansas City, Missouri Police Department captain. I don't know if I'm intelligent enough to, you know, really be able to speak to that, to like why, why the numbers are the way they are. I know that uh, in talking, for instance, to Dr. Novak, who's uh, one of our research partners, you know, uh, he, he has suggested that, you know, we really, it, it's hard to address the public in this way because they see that number, they want that number to go down today, and if it's not going down today, then therefore it's ineffective. Um, I think that you really have to look at trends over a longer period of time. I do believe that um, the way that we are currently operating is the best way for us to operate by sitting down together, sharing intelligence and talking with each other and then going after those those criminal offenders. Um, I can't speak to the numbers themselves. I know that the trends uh, across the United States, violence is rising. I think there are a lot of factors. Especially that, in metropolitan areas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, uh, and there are probably a lot of social issues in uh, and a lot of deeply rooted, you know, many of these young people are growing up, like I spoke earlier with you, and in, in, really in combat zones. I mean, these these kids are growing up in these combat zones, and you know the the PTSDs that they face, uh, you know, that of a of a person facing, you know, uh, a combat zone over in you know in Iraq or Afghanistan, very similar. And so I think there are a lot of deep, uh, deeply rooted social uh, issues that that. I don't know that I can address by myself as a, as a police officer, but I do know that we are working very hard to identify the individuals that are causing this problem. We're reaching out to them, to their families, and attempting to offer them a, a different way out. A uh, handful of them listen and attempt to take those, uh, those offers. Uh, and I do have some of those numbers here for you, but uh, but a lot of them aren't going to take those offers. And those people are the ones that we're identifying and know that we have to remove from the streets in order to make our community safer. And we can't even begin to address all of the violent issues and the, the, the deep-rooted issues uh, until we can really even uh, get to a point where we can just, you know, uh, stop the hemorrhaging, you know, so we can then look at the issues as a community. How do we, how do we then begin to address violence? But I can't speak to the numbers themselves, why they're going up. I just know that we're making a lot of arrests and we're sending a lot of people, uh, you know, over to the prosecutor's office to, for them to prosecute. I know that those prosecutors that we have that are dedicated to our program are, are working uh, to the collaboration, are working extremely hard to put those people, you know, in prison. Uh, I know we've, we face a situation here in Kansas City where uh, our jail bed space is extremely limited, uh, especially when you compare us to other metropolitan cities with demographics such as ours. Their jail bed space is, is significantly larger than ours, sometimes double and triple our size. So uh, there's limited space for the judges to, to, you know, to place an offender uh, when we catch them and attempt to prosecute them. So we're, you know, we're up against some problems that we need to address as a community. Um, and I would like, you know, really to share this information so we can begin to look at those issues and how do we resolve them. It sounds like um, maybe you're making the point there, and correct me if I'm uh, misinterpreting what you just sure. said, that perhaps the jail space or the uh, the bed space situation in, in our local jails could possibly be affecting sentencing? Uh I think it could be interpreted that way. I, I, I don't know that we will know for sure until we actually have a, a place to, you know, to house the individuals that we know need to be put away. I mean, these violent offenders that are, that are ruining our city streets, you know, and causing this problem here in Kansas City, uh, I don't, I don't, many of them, unfortunately, 
are returning to the streets. Well, what's the, and what's the reaction then within your unit when you find that maybe an individual who, who might not have killed anybody, uh, but maybe committed a robbery, um, had been selling drugs, had, had had been a part of an assault or something of that nature, uh, and then you go and find that after, despite all the work of the prosecutors, despite the work of your officers, and maybe despite the best efforts of, of the judge after that, you find that the individual ends up being released on their own recognizance, and then you're chasing him down again. I mean, wh- what what's your reaction internally when you see that stuff happening? Well, I think it's... Well, I think it would be frustrating for anyone. Right. I mean, it should be frustrating for the community as well. I mean, it's I, I live in the community. I'm mm-hmm. not just a I'm not just an officer, and then I disappear. You know, after I get off. So they don't bust um, you guys in, right? From, uh, they don't. We're not busted in from somewhere. But I mean, so the the so I, I think that that is a frustrating issue facing our city. It's not it's not just frustrating for the officer or the prosecutor or even maybe the judge. It's it should be frustrating for for us you know, as a, as a community, and we need to figure out how to address that. So uh, those, are, those are issues that'll, that my leadership and the leadership of this collaboration are going to work together to, uh, to address. But um, as you could imagine, when you're dealing with, uh, with issues such as these, that's not an overnight decision. That's not, a, that's not an easy decision. It's extremely expensive to not only build a, a, bit, a bigger, better jail or to run a bigger, better jail with, um, you know, qualified, uh, you know, guards and, and everything else. I mean, you're, you're talking millions and millions of dollars, you know, mm-hmm. so that is a huge issue to tackle. And so it's not for any one of us to, to tackle. I think, again, uh, when everybody looks from their perception, you know, when the police officer looks from his perception inside of his car, or when the detective looks at his perception at his desk, um, it's easy to begin pointing fingers uh, at everyone else. Um, but the reality is, uh, if you think a little bit larger, more globally, it's it's a it's a much bigger issue than what's going on in my car or at my desk or you know whatever the case may be. But but to say that we shouldn't sit down and work collaboratively, or that the Nova unit shouldn't continue to work collaboratively to address those issues in my opinion, would be completely foolish. Right. I mean, it makes no sense to not all sit at the table and discuss how are we going to continue working together to address this issue. Uh, that, I, I think that would be just almost, quite frankly, I think it would be ridiculous to say, no, we should quit talking to each other. We should not work together to resolve the problem. To me, that would be just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think it would be a difficult argument to say that the problem is there's been too much collaboration between di- divisions and between government agencies. That, Absolutely. So that, um, that, I think that's a point well taken. Uh, you, you did mention, I wanted to talk more about it, the sort of the social services aspect. Sure. And, and there are some raw numbers here. I think mm-hmm. you alluded to them a second ago, but I'll just start reading yeah. some of this stuff off. Um, this is t- just since the last call-in, right, which occurred on... Uh, yeah. In June of 2017? Uh, yeah. So this is showing me that you've had 432 in-person meetings with clients. You've had uh, 54 crisis intervention se- sessions, uh, 221 mentoring sessions, 216 bus passes provided, 104 instances of education and drop job training, 167 uh, individuals who were helped with resume applications or emails. So... And I think another one there is 102 individuals who are helped with life planning. I mean, th- these seem to be numbers that speak to 
success, even at least a modicum of success. How important is this element, and do you think that there are enough resources to support that work as as things are structured today? Well, yeah. So that's a that's a tough one again too. So early on, um, I, I think as the police department, we were really just trying to tackle our own department issues, you know, getting our units and our squads and our divisions to talk to each other and begin sharing intelligence and information, much like what, you know, even other cities that I've been able to collaborate with, such as I went to New Haven, Connecticut, I've been to Boston, I've been to, um, I've been, I went to uh, Baton Rouge to, um, to see what they were doing down there with their focused deterrence process. I've been uh, in conversations with, um, in cities in California and Colorado, uh, all who are implementing strategies very similar to ours. And so we're working with these other cities to see, well, what, what are you guys doing and where are you having success? And so- And that's how the IRIS meetings kind of were absolutely, birthed, that's, right? absolutely, that's that's how the IRIS meeting uh, get, was given birth. And uh, it was by, and not, not by me, my specific efforts, because when I say when I've traveled there, it's myself along with my, the NOVA collaboration right. has traveled and seen other cities. Um, the Law Enforcement Resource Center through um, uh, Major Volker, he sent people to go visit other cities to see what they are doing in the um, in their types of intelligence sharing. So it's been a, 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 a NOVA collaboration and a police department initiative to go see what other cities are doing to include prosecutors, they, they travel with us. You know, our prosecutors are, how are they working together? So it's the whole collaboration traveling, seeing what other cities are doing, coming back and then beginning to implement those same strategies in here uh, as we're able to do it and make it work in our city. So um, when it comes to social services, we struggled early on uh, just working, you know, to get the police department working together the way it needed to be. So social services kind of was left sitting out there on its own, you know, hey, go, you guys go figure out what you need to do. And so it's only been recently that we've been able to say, okay, well now we're up and running uh, and things are going fairly smooth. Oh, hey, are you guys, you know, are you guys tracking all this? Are right. you guys doing, and there wasn't a lot of information and there wasn't a lot of numbers early on. I know a lot of people were asking us, you know, well, hey, let me see your social service numbers or is social services effective or uh, are you able to, and, and here's my response to that. Um, we are doing better at tracking the, the numbers um, now that uh, you know now that we've kind of got our feet founded and we're, we're you know we've, we're standing on firm ground um, now we're able to maybe draw a more of our attention or take more of our attention over to our services to make sure that they're getting the support that they need to do their jobs and so um, we have asked them to start tracking certain things that they're doing now outcomes you know it's success I don't I don't know like for instance, if I help, uh, if I if I take this guy to get him a resume, and he wants to leave the life of violence, and then I get him working in a particular job, um, you know, does he uh, at some point does he reoffend, or at some point does he go back to a, a different lifestyle? Maybe, and maybe I, some of and, these gains I and, think are incremental, right? Right, and and so, uh, but does that mean we should stop trying? <laughs> I mean, that that would be my argument. My argument would be. Um, so are you telling me that the police department should quit trying or that our NOVA collaboration, because really it's our collaboration that's attempting to help them. It's not just the police department. I mean, it's everybody. The pros matter of fact, uh, one of our prosecutors um, is helping oversee uh, the, you know, the, the three social service client advocates that are working with these offenders and their families. Um, the prosecutor's office is helping oversee some of that. So it's... Uh, it's simply to say that um, we, as a collaboration, as a community, should 
try to help people. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're going to identify people that refuse to help continue a life of violence. They got to go to prison. Nobody's arguing that. But I don't know that um, that anybody could make a strong argument that I should stop helping people uh, and trying to reach out to them uh, to uh, assist them with a, a better life and better choices. You know? No, absolutely. Um, I actually had a chance this spring to spend a day with uh, Central Patrol Division's social services coordinator. They created that position, uh, Major Rick Smith. For yeah. Gina English, who's yeah. a social worker, she had spent some time in Nova. Yes, she and did. I was I was really impressed with the work that she did. She's the impact incredible. She had with people. Yeah, and I wanted to ask about that. Is, I mean, how do you get more people like her rolled into Nova? And I guess maybe on another note, how palatable is it to you to have more people like Gina to have more social services coordinators right embedded within police departments? I, I think that is absolutely a phenomenal idea uh what major smith did to bring Jeannie english down there i'm i'm sad that she's not working for me uh quite frankly but i'm glad that she's working with with you know center patrol and and that is awesome and we we actually hired another girl heidi break jones is her name and she's working in our collaboration with two other client advocates uh and she i mean i think she and gina might be sisters possibly i don't i don't know you know but um (laughs) but you know, Andre uh, Carson is one of our, uh, he initially started off in the drug courts mm-hmm. and moved over to our Nova collaboration in social services. And uh, um, Susie, I'm uh, sorry, Susie Acona, those individuals work every single day uh, doing this, this work here that's on this piece of paper. You're welcome to keep that, of course. And, and uh, um, this is what they do every single day is they, they reach out to these people and and uh, and I tell you, it takes a, a special person because they they put themselves in harm's way, quite frankly, to to go and engage uh, these these individuals that that we've identified as being some of the most hardened criminals in in our city, and we're reaching out to them, and and we don't stop at just them. You know, if uh, if this criminal, if this particular individual that is a, a violent gang member, if he's going to choose to remain in that life, you know. I get it. He's got to go to prison. You know, this guy's got to come off of our streets because he's he's carrying guns. He's he's killing people. He's shooting people. He's right. he's committing violence to further whatever his agenda is. And so that person has to go away. Nobody argues that. Um, but there's siblings that are in that house. You know, there's a girlfriend that's probably getting left behind, or or you know, the mother of his children is getting left behind. There's there's the backfill into that um, because of the the. Because violence is a social problem, it is a it, you know it's an epidemic almost. You know it's a it's a it's a disease, mm-hmm. so to speak. So if you think of it in that mindset, you know you have to stop the you have to stop the hemorrhaging, right? You have to stop the bleeding and and then move on to the to the to what the problem is, the core problem. Mm-hmm. So certainly that violent member that refuses to change, he's got to go to prison. But there's still those people left behind that are still on, you know, on the cuff of what, what do I, do, you know, what's going to happen to me now? Right. Languishing I, in their wake and then, right. you know, they've been right. victims in a lot of ways. I think. Ab- you know what, you can absolutely say it that way because we've talked about it earlier that they're, uh, that these individuals are um, uh, growing up in what could otherwise be described as war zones, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and so it would be, in my opinion, foolish of us as a collaboration and as a community to not reach out and attempt to help them, you know, in the end, in the end, as a police officer, 
I don't get to make that final decision. You know, it's still a choice that an individual has to make that, you know, that I'm willing to take a look at these services and what you have to offer. And I'm, you know, but in, in the end, it's still their choice. They right. have to make a decision that this is something that they want to do. They don't want to lead this life of violence. In the end, that's their choice. But we should always reach out to help them. Those that don't want help, we identify and we work hard to make sure that they're removed from our streets. Good. Well, hey, you've been very generous with your time. I'll end it with this one. I did want to ask you, uh, I would re be remiss if I didn't at least bring it up. The uh, There's going to be an announcement later this morning, I guess in, a, in an hour and a half or so, yeah. uh, about the... Uh, I, it sounds like the Board of Police Commissioners are going to name some finalists for the open... Uh, chief of police position sure. that you mentioned is uh, yes. currently being filled uh, at a, on an interim on an interim basis by David Zimmerman. Yes, and I would ask. There has been this kind of thought, I think, in the media, in the public, that well, what if the new chief comes in and doesn't support Nova? What happens then? Uh, I, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of been on people's minds. I think when we were talking earlier, you kind of gave me the impression that, well, it's not a police department decision, really. It, it's, it's a partnership and a collaboration that involves so many other uh, different properties and so many different other agencies that it would be a very difficult thing to do, it sounds like. Um, well, yeah, I, you know, I that, that's, that could a, yeah, that's a tough one for me to answer because, I, you know, you, you, sure, you don't know who's, uh, who's going to be our, our next chief, um, but I, I do agree. I, I think it would be I, I personally would be very frustrated if a if a new chief came in and uh, did not support a collaboration, you know, that did not support that uh, that I just can't imagine that a chief would come into office and say, no, I don't want to sit down with any of these partners and I don't want to talk to them right. about how to share and address violence. I can't imagine that a leader would come in and and that would be their thought process. Right. That no, I'm not going to sit down at a table with the leaders of all these other organizations and the community to work together to resolve, you know, our issues. I, I, I can't imagine that a leader would want to say that. But I, you know, I, what, I, I, don't, I don't even know how I would answer that question <laughs> other than I, I, I you know, I, I think I, it would be, it would be frustrating for me if uh, if if my leadership came in and said no, I don't want to. I don't want to sit down, I don't want to talk, and I don't want to share information and work together. If right. that was my leadership, I would be frustrated. I, don't, I, I can't imagine that, um, that, a, that a reasonable reasonable person would not be frustrated. So um, You might so expect I, some tweaks here and there, some, some absolutely. Different, I mean, uh, uh, different ways that meetings are handled or different sure. ways enforcement is, is, is delivered. Or, yeah, 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 right. There, you know, every, every chief uh, is going to put their spin on... Uh, you know, on, you know, their philosophy to something. Uh, and, and I just would hope that that person would take into consideration um, and, and be willing to listen and sit down and talk. Uh, but, you know, in the end, uh, I'm still working in a paramilitary organization and, uh, you know, directives come down. Uh, they don't, you know, the directives come down. And in the end, I, I have to support the mission you know that uh, that my leadership decides that you know we're gonna the direction that we're gonna go. So you know when it when it's all said and done, I have to support the mission that 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 individual uh, puts in place. I just hope the mission he puts in place involves us working together in this type of a collaboration. Excellent. Well, I think that's you gave me all I could ask for during this conversation. You're very frank. 
and I appreciate your time. So thank you very much, and yeah. uh, look forward to talking again sometime soon. And there you have it, folks. That is all for this edition of the Northeast Newscast. I'm your host, Paul Thompson. I'd like to thank Captain Chris Young of the Kansas City Police Department for joining us this week. Young is obviously a staunch supporter of the Kansas City No Violence Alliance, but he didn't shy away from some tough questions today. I appreciated the candor, and I hope our listeners did too. Thank you once again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Northeast Newscast.